The NFL Power Rankings Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The app is also super simple to use with a two-top checkout process and panoramic views of where you'll be sitting. But don't take it from me, more than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest ways to get into the game. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. Hello and welcome back to the Athletics NFL Power Rankings Podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, National NFL Reporter at The Athletic. And I'm Amy Perlopiano, National NFL Editor at The Athletic. And wow, week nine. What a week. That Crazy. was that was really fun. I, I going into the the weekend, he kind of looked at the matchups and said, "Ah, I don't I don't know about this." And then it ended up being a really really fun week of football, especially kind of the late slate of games with the afternoon and the night game and three of the top 5 teams from last week lost, including the top-ranked Patriots, and then the Dolphins are bottom team since the preseason. They won a game. So all Ooh, this means there was Miami, some Miami big week, big week for you Miami. Um, so yeah, all this means is that there are some really significant changes at the top and the bottom of our rankings, and maybe there's a little bit of controversy in the top five as well. We're going to get into all of that today on the podcast, and we're also going to be joined by the Athletics Ravens beat writer, Jeff Zrebeck, to talk about the Ravens' big win over the Patriots, their climb in the rankings, Lamar Jackson's MVP candidacy, and more. But first, we have to talk about a couple of big news items that broke Tuesday morning, all about some quarterbacks. First, the Carolina Panthers have placed Cam Newton on injured reserve with that nagging foot injury. This obviously ends Newton's season, but it also leads to some pretty big questions about Newton's long-term future in Carolina, if maybe he's played his last snap there. So let's let's look at this a little bit. He's under contract for one more year through 2020. But when you kind of break down that contract, the Panthers would only have to take on $2 million in dead money if they decided to cut him this offseason. So I think there's a lot of things they're going to have to consider. You know, first of all, it's his health. Can this foot get healthy? Is he going to have to have surgery? I think that's something that he's going to be weighing now. He's um, gone to visit foot specialists to get second opinions, third opinions. Um, our Panthers beat writers, um, Jordan Rodriguez and um, Joe Person have both covered this like very extensively. But so the first thing that they have to consider is how healthy is Cam Newton going to be? Can he get back to 100% health? Because this is now going to be basically a second wasted season for him. You know, even though he played most of 2018, he was not right basically at any point because of that shoulder. He spent all last off season having shoulder surgery and then rehabbing. Are they looking at another kind of lengthy, you know, rehab from another pretty significant injury? So I think the first thing they have to consider long-term is how healthy is going to be. Is he going to be able to get back to hundred percent? What sort of quarterback will he be when he gets back? Um, you know, and then the other side of it, of course, is what's Kyle Allen going to look like over the second half of the season? I don't think I've seen enough of him to have this definitive hot take of he's the quarterback of the future, but he now has the rest of the season to kind of state his case to the Panthers bosses, to Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, their new owner, David Tepper, who um, came in after Cam Newton did. You know, he he wasn't the owner when they drafted Cam Newton. Um, and they can also really start kind of evaluating what the 2020 quarterback landscape is going to look like. 
It's going to be a really interesting free agent class. It's going to be a really interesting draft class. And then they're going to have a lot of things to consider with both Allen and then Cam Newton's recovery. So this is really, you know, significant news um, for for the NFC landscape, the NFC South, for the Ravens, for the quarterback market. So really interested to watch what's um, what's going to be coming next there. Yeah. And so the Panthers are going to have a decision to make, you know, in the long term now, they're going to have to evaluate everything and decide what they want to do. A team that had another decision to make made one. Um, The other kind of breaking news here is in Jacksonville, Minshew mania is over, at least for now. Uh, Doug Maroon announced on Tuesday that Nick Foles will be starting in two weeks against the Colts when the Jaguars return from their bye week. So there'd kind of been a debate, a discussion. Minshew had been playing really well. We wondered what they were going to do. But I really think that uh, Gardner Minshew's four turnover turnover day in uh, London against Houston helped make that decision pretty easier, at least easier than we thought it would be. We had kind of said that, oh, you know, maybe if Minshew has a a great day against a division, you know, an, an in division team that it would be really hard to turn away from him. But he didn't. He did exactly the opposite of that. So, you know, they've decided to move back to Foles. But, you know, this might still be a hard sell to a fan base that had really fallen in love with uh, Minshew and, you know, everything kind of that he brought to the team. He brought a lot of charisma and he's really, you know, this dynamic player and presence. Um, And so it'll be really interesting to see what his future is now. You know, if the Jags could turn back to him if Foles struggles at all, you know, or maybe we're looking to the offseason. Will there be interest in, in him from other teams as a trade target? You know, he's obviously very young. He's really cheap. He's shown that he can play. You know, they if teams think he'll be a, a, an upgrade over some other starters out there, then we could see potentially a trade go down this offseason. You know, Mike Sando wrote a piece um, early in on Monday in his pick six uh, where he talked to execs and coaches about different players. And when he asked them about the Minshew Foles thing, uh, one coach who faced Minshew said, quote, I think he's a starter. I'd rather have him than about 10 guys who have started this year. Pretty impressive as a rookie. So I think that he's probably not the only guy who feels like that. I think there's some other teams out there who are probably going to be interested in potentially trying to get him if they can this offseason. Maybe the Jaguars aren't going to want to give him up. So we will see how that plays out. So with those two news items over with, let's get into the rankings. We are sure many of you have very strong feelings, especially at some of the movement in the top 10, particularly in the top five. Um, so please air your grievances in the comments. As we say every week, we read them. <laughs> we really do. We've, we picked a couple uh, for, for later on to read to prove to you again that we do read them. So let's start with the bottom five. So we have got number 28. Atlanta Falcons, who did not play and therefore did not lose. Number 29, the Washington Redskins. 30, the Miami Dolphins. Look at them, all the way up to 30. Number 31, the New York Jets, who lost to the Miami Dolphins. And number 32, the Cincinnati Bengals, who did not play, did not lose, but are still our number 32 team. Uh, so yeah, the, the notable movement here, other than Miami's surge all the way to number 30, is that Washington moved up a spot despite not scoring a touchdown for the third straight game and losing like pretty handily in Buffalo. So that just gives you an indication of just how bad all of these teams are and how difficult it is that each week for us to have to pick out of these teams for who's worse, because as we've said before, I wish we could just tie them all at 32. Um, the Dolphins are up two spots after beating the Jets uh, and, of course, their former head coach, Adam Gase. Uh, you know, they like 
splashed the Gatorade on Brian <laughs> Flores after they won and they were celebrating. So that was a fun moment to see. Um, many fans are pissed that their tanking is now messed up because the Dolphins now went from having the number one draft pick to number four because of the tiebreakers with the other one win team. So again, this just proves to you just truly how many bad teams there are. And like, Lindsay, I don't know who you had at your number 32 spot. I had the Jets. Somehow the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals are also just horrible. So really, it's just I think you could tie them at 32. But I did have the Jets there after their embarrassing display. Probably one of the worst losses, at least in like recent franchise history. And there's yeah. a lot to choose from there. So I'm with you. And you know, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a couple of weeks, you know that I've had Cincinnati last for several weeks. I've actually had them below the Dolphins. And then they don't play this week. So they couldn't embarrass themselves in dramatic yeah. fashion the way that the Jets do. And you know, I, Connor Hughes, our Jets beat writer, you know, I loved his story that he wrote from that game in Miami where, you know, some one of the reporters there asked must have asked Adam Gase if Gase was embarrassed. And he said that you can't be embarrassed by things like that. And Connor just wrote, oh, yes, you can. Yes, you really can, Adam. You really can. (laughs) So I think that's the thing we learned this week is that Adam Gase lacks the um, ability to feel shame. But I think that uh, that will be tested multiple times again over the rest of the year. So, yeah, I mean, a lot, some interesting movement there. Um, you know, our, our Washington beat writer and I were messaging a little bit earlier today, Ben Standig, and we proposed maybe like a gong show style like tournament for the bottom five teams where, you know, this is the power ranks and we should be talking about who's the best, you know, but we probably could have like a whole spinoff show just about the bottom five. I'd love to bring on somebody from each of those teams to kind of state the case for why the team that they cover actually deserves to be um, number 32. Cause I think you could make a pretty strong case for all five of those teams in the bottom five. And there's a couple others on the outskirts that might be able to creep in there as well. So it was just fun to see a little bit of movement there. Um, even though, you know, I'm sure Dolphins fans, I was, I was in Florida last weekend reporting a story and um, on a plane on Sunday and a lot of Dolphins fans were uh, checking the scores when we landed and were dismayed to find out that their team was winning. So that just, it's, it's an interesting time to be a Dolphins fan for sure. I think I had actually moved the Dolphins all the way up to like 28 on my own rankings because well, I, I, they've, they've actually played, yeah, they've played competitively in their last couple of games. And you just cannot say the same about the other bottom teams in there. Like, any of the other bottom four. They have not really been competitive the way that the Dolphins have. They've been leading in their last couple of games and they finally got a win and it seems like they have some momentum going now. So, you know, I had them, I moved them all the way up to 28 because there are just so many terrible teams that I really do think are worse than that. All right. Well, now let's get into our top five. I think that's enough talking about the uh, the garbage teams. There are some really good teams. There was some interesting movement at the top five. So here we go. Number five, the Green Bay Packers. Number four, Baltimore Ravens. Number three, the New England Patriots. Number two, the New Orleans Saints. And number one, a new number one for the first time in 2019 here on the Athletics Power Rankings, it's the San Francisco 49ers. So obviously all the 49ers fans have been yelling us in the comments and on Twitter over the last couple of weeks. I hope you guys are happy. But 
the Ravens fans, I'm sure, are pissed off because, look, they they won very handily against the Patriots on Sunday night. That was as convincing of a win as we've seen among, you know, between two kind of top rated teams. You know, it was so impressive what they were able to do offensively against, you know, the, the what what had been the best defense in the league. And here they are actually one spot behind the Ravens. Um, I went back and I looked through kind of all of our ballots to try to figure out how the math ended up like this. And it's because a couple of our voters still like the Patriots best. A couple of our voters still have the Patriots at number one. I think there's, you know, the pull back the curtain a little bit on how we do these power rankings is you have to react to each week, but you also have to balance that with kind of a big picture look at the entire roster, the entire defense, the offense, the coaching staff, the upcoming schedule, history. And what history has shown us about the New England Patriots is that they will stumble at some point in the regular season. Usually it's early. Usually it's in September. They'll lose a game or two, um, you know, in, in September, early October that they shouldn't have. And we all panic. We write the, you know, we waste a lot of words talking about if Tom Brady is done and this is the end of the dynasty. And then, you know, by November, they go on a roll and, you know, inevitably they have the one or the two seed and home field advantage in the playoffs and, you know, yada, yada, yada. That's this is how this works. So I think there's a little bit of that where there's a reluctance to drop the New England Patriots. It's too far because, you know, we have that much confidence in Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and that entire defense that, you know, maybe that they'll be better um, if they are to face the Ravens again in the playoffs. Let's say that game happens in the AFC Championship game in Foxborough. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a drastically different outcome. So Ravens fans, we're going to get to your complaints in a minute. We definitely hear you. Um, Amy, what do you think about this top five and what was maybe your own personal top five this week? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that we got it mostly right. I think that you can make an argument, obviously, that, yeah, I mean, I personally think that Baltimore should be ahead of New England right now. Um, So my top five was one 49ers, two Saints, three Ravens, four Patriots, and five Chiefs. Um, so I kind of did the opposite of what I, I did two different methods here. In with New England and Baltimore, I put Baltimore ahead of New England pretty much because they beat them, right? Like they beat them head to head. We hadn't really seen New England play anybody yet. At this point, after that game, I think we can say that the Ravens certainly look like a stronger team, at least against the Patriots. Obviously, I think we all still think that the Patriots are going to go very, very far. And I think a lot of people use these power rankings kind of as a, you know, I think the people who left them at number one, at least probably view it as like, we still think the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. So they're still number one in the league right now. Um, And then I did kind of the opposite with the Chiefs and the Packers. So I moved the Packers, I moved the Chiefs ahead of the Packers, despite the fact that they just lost to the Packers last week. But I think that those circumstances are very different. Obviously, Mahomes is hurt. That was a very close game. Um, you know, the Chiefs could have won that game against the Packers. And they won, you know, kind of in dramatic fashion this week with the backup quarterback still. Really, Andy Reid is just doing really, really great work. Kind of the same way that we take guys like Belichick for granted, right? Like when we talk about coach of the year, Belichick is in there, but he's not the one we're talking about that much because we just expect him to be great. It's kind of a similar situation with Reed. Like he's just using his, you know, everyone thought Mahomes was going to go out and like doomsday was going to fall upon the Chiefs. And that hasn't been the case. And now it seems like Mahomes is going to be back. So I have the Chiefs back in the top five. I think they deserve to be there. And I think that after the Packers, like, dud of a loss on Sunday that, you know, the Chiefs, 
without their starting great quarterback, uh, we could say that they look like, you know, the stronger team, at least in this two game kind of radius when they played them head to head. And now um, this week, what they were able to do without Mahomes. Yeah, my top five actually um, is different than yours, different than ours that our panel came up with. Um, I My top three were the same as yours, where I went uh, Niners, Saints, um, Ravens, and then I had the Patriots at number four. But I actually put the Texans at number five. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I dropped the Packers back, uh, back to seven. I dropped uh, the Vikings back to number nine. I put the Chiefs up to six. But I, I like the Texans. You know, I, I've said many times here that there isn't really a transitive property in the NFL. It's such a week to week league. But when we saw the Texans at full strength and we saw the Patriot or the Chiefs, excuse me, at full strength a couple weeks ago, the Texans won that game in Arrowhead. So, um, you know, I, I, I really, and I also really liked what the Texans did against the Jaguars in London. Surprisingly, they, actually played better defensively in the first game without J.J. Watt, which you wouldn't really think that was going to happen. Um, but their their offensive line held up really well against the Jaguars, um, a really strong Jaguars defensive front. So I put the Texans in my top five. Um, I was kind of alone on that island there, but I'm interested to see if, if, any, if, if they keep playing the way that they are and Deshaun Watson kind of keeps doing miraculous things week to week, if other people kind of start joining me. Um, joining me here on that island. And um, I, you know, it's, it's not, they're not in our top five, but I also just think it's really interesting to see where the chiefs are, how they've creeped up. Um, especially now that it looks like Patrick Mahomes is getting a lot closer to playing. I still don't think they should play him. I think that they have a pretty good path right now to winning the AFC West. If they can, they don't need to rush him back for a game against the Titans potentially not even that Monday night football game in Mexico on a field that hopefully is in good condition, but there's, you know, after what we saw last year, there's no guarantee. So um, I hope they don't rush Patrick Mahomes back. I think they probably will. Um, but they they have certainly moved uh, moved up a little bit and are now certainly a team to watch. So um, is there any do you have any other thoughts there about the top five before we move on? Uh, not about the top five. I mean, I think it's notable to mention that the Packers uh, remained in there. They fell only a spot after losing to the Chargers, while the Vikings, who were number five the last two weeks, dropped four spots after losing to the Chiefs. Um, so, you know, that's not really an even. Uh, it, it's weird, but I guess you could say that you could argue that the Vikings fell too far if we only docked the uh Packers one spot for a, a bad loss to the Chargers. Um, but at the same time, I think it shows how we feel about the quarterback situation potentially, you know, in, in Minnesota versus Green Bay. I think we probably have greater confidence that Green Bay can bounce back and that this was just kind of a, whether you want to call it a trap game or whatever it is, you know, just a down week. Um, I think there's more fear because we saw those inconsistencies earlier in the season that like the Vikings are now going to go on another, you know, bad offensive stretch and uh i think that there's a little bit more fear there and that's why they dropped the way that they did and the packers only dropped one spot but we definitely need to talk more about the ravens who are back in our top five for the first time since week two though i think you could make the argument that they're not high enough so to do that we're going to be joined today by jeff zrebeck the athletics baltimore ravens beat writer hi jeff thanks for hopping on with us today my pleasure thanks for having me all right, so let's just kick this off. We got to get into this game from Sunday when the Ravens 
knocked off the number one team, the New England Patriots. And the headline of the story that you wrote following that game, um, it, it, you actually used a direct quote from a player where you said, quote, we're built for that type of football. And I think it's been pretty exciting and interesting to watch kind of the Ravens plan really dating back to last season, but especially what they've done in this offseason. So Jeff, I was hoping you could take us a little bit more into what that means. How did the Ravens build this style of team um, around Lamar Jackson that really enabled them to do what they did Sunday night against New England. Yeah. You know, I, I think ever since the start of, you know, ever since the off season, actually, when it became clear that this was going to be Lamar Jackson's team going forward, I think everyone was sort of wondering, well, what's this offense going to look like? The Ravens clearly said we're going to build an offense around Lamar Jackson um, to, you know, emphasize his skill set and give him the best chance to succeed. All that sounds uh, sounds good, but, you know, what does that actually mean? And, and we kind of wondered, you know, and John Harbaugh talked about how they were going to revolutionize offensive football with what they were doing and no one else was going to be doing it. They met with college coaches, you know, Paul Ock- Paul Johnson, the former Navy coach, was you know at the facility to meet with coaches. So um, we haven't we we just kind of wondered what it was going to look like, and and we've sort of seen in a lot of ways it, it's sort of a throwback. I mean, look, they're doing different things that nobody else is doing um, in terms of their run schemes, some of their run plays they're calling, um, but a lot of it and, and is about controlling the football, um, winning matchups up front, taking advantage of mismatches, uh, you know, and, and Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, is really good at that and, and developing a running scheme or that, that would allow them to do that. And, you know, they lead the league in time of possession. They just kind of play keep away uh, a lot of times and are able to grind out really long drives. And, I mean, we saw against the Patriots, they had they only had the ball twice in the entire second half. Um, you know, they had it a third time, but that was a kneel-down situation. So, really, only two full drives – and, you know, each drive went 14 plays and, and scored a touchdown and it ate up almost 18 full minutes. So it's, they're going to be tough to beat if they play like that. Uh, they've really emphasized ball control. And, and, you know, I do think they're going to have to evolve a little bit on offense, get more of a big play element. I think Marquise Brown is him. His improved health will allow him, allow them to make kind of more plays down the field. Uh, but right now it's, it's a lot of running, a lot of short stuff to tight ends, some play action, some getting Jackson out of the pocket uh and and they're running it and no one's been able to really stop it so far yeah and we saw that against the patriots jeff they had before they played the ravens i believe they had only allowed 7.6 points per game or something like that their defense and then they went and put 37 points on them so uh you mentioned lamar jackson obviously we've we've discussed a lot about his progress this year and we've thrown his name around a lot in the mvp talks where do you see his MVP candidacy standing right now? Yeah, I think he's definitely in the mix. Uh, you know, personally, I would still go Russell Wilson number one. Um, and right now, I, I think I'm either with Deshaun Watson at number two or maybe Lamar Jackson. I'm kind of them, them two, two and three. And I, then I think McCaffrey uh, would be my you know fourth choice as of now. But look, it, he's he's on pace to rush for almost 1300 yards and and to throw for even more yards than that. Um, You know, people keep saying this isn't sustainable. 
someone's going to stop him and he's going to have to be able to beat teams with his arm. We keep waiting for that to happen. And, and it, it hasn't happened really, you know, and everyone thought Bill Belichick, uh, you know, the genius, he, you know, the long regarded as one of the best coaches in the game. Uh, he would figure out a way to, to make Jackson play poorly and, and do all that. And he hasn't really been able to do it. So uh, there's no question. I think he belongs in the top three, uh, definitely in the top five, but I actually think he's in that second or third slot right now and look two two week two games in a row he outplayed russell wilson in seattle and they won that game um and you know he was he was more effective than tom brady the other night now i'm not saying he's better than those guys Uh, that would be ridiculous but i'm just saying right now when when you look at what he's been able to done and how much he's meant to that team i mean he's he's been the guy for them he's he's the reason that they're six and two and have won four straight games and uh, he certainly needs to be considered uh right in the mix for that award Jeff, one of the things that's really stuck out of, uh, to me about the Ravens and has been so fun to watch them offensively is that we've kind of seen an evolution from week to week where they keep seeing it's like they're adding new wrinkles or they're showing us new things. There have been games where they've, you know, they've really just run the ball. There have been games where it's been really a, a passing heavy game plan. Um, what do you think is the next evolutionary step that they need to take, whether that's um just with Lamar Jackson or from kind of a, a, a scheming game planning perspective, what do you think that they need to do to kind of sustain this um, and then maybe get themselves in a position for a one or two seed? Yeah. You know, that's a great point because I think one of the, the best compliments that, you know, you could give to offensive coordinator Greg Roman this year is he sort of designed the game plan to exploit that opponent's weaknesses and Jackson's, you know, skill set has allowed him to mix it up. I mean, early in the season against the Dolphins, you know, he threw the five touchdown passes. I think they wanted to send a message that he can throw. So that was behind that. When they played the Bengals earlier this year, they knew Bengals couldn't set the edge at all. They haven't been able to do it all season. So you, you saw, um, you know, Jackson repeatedly keep the ball and challenge him on the edge. And he had over 100 yards rushing. So, um, but the one thing I think they're going to have to do, and I touched on it a little earlier. Well, two things. One is get the, de- get the you know, more of a big play element. Uh, in the passing game and and you know that was there the first two weeks uh, with Marquise Brown and Marquise Brown's not completely healthy he's coming off the Frank surgery then he has a high ankle sprain now he's dealing with hamstrings so he's not running even close to 100 percent and he's still a lot faster than a lot of guys they need to find Marquise Brown and, and, and another rookie receiver Miles Boykin they need to get them behind the defense and make a few more plays down the field the other thing is they just need to add a little more you know, diversity to their passing game rather than, you know, just focusing on the tight ends and, and some of the underneath stuff. So they need to they need to do more of that too, just to add another dimension. So I think one of the things that kind of kept the Ravens uh, maybe out of our top 10 for a little while, or at least they certainly dropped back, was there were a lot of questions about their defense. You know, their pass rush was really non-existent for a little while. Um, questions on the back end. They've obviously addressed that. The Marcus Peters trade, I think, so far has been working out. What have you seen over the last couple of weeks defensively that's enabled them to kind of just just make some probably some pretty significant progress. Like you said, obviously shutting down um, Russell Wilson and that Seattle offense and then what they were able to do against the Patriots. Yeah. You know, they're sort of going that on the fly. You know, they're guys are signing off the street or starting three or four days later. They've had a lot of injuries and ineffectiveness. Um, And I think the 
But prime, Josh Bynes signing, he's kind of a, didn't get a lot of attention, but he stabilized things in the middle of the field a little bit for them. He's just a solid middle linebacker. He's kind of no frills, but he makes the plays he should make, and he's in the right place when he should be. That settled down things, but the biggest adjustment is just them getting healthier uh, and the secondary um, specifically. Uh, with Jimmy Smith coming back. That's really helped. And uh, you mentioned Marcus Peters. They now have four corners they really like, um, and and they want to get on the field as much as possible. I think Marlon Humphreys played at a Pro Bowl level all year, and then you have Brandon Carr, Peters, and Jimmy Smith. And all of them were on the field a, a lot in the Patriots game. In fact, they had like you know, there was like 15 to 20 plays where they didn't even have a middle linebacker on the field. So they're loading up on defensive backs, putting their best coverage guys on the field. And then they're blitzing safeties uh, to try to get pass rush. Their pass rush is still the biggest concern, uh, but with their versatility on the back end and how many cover guys they have and, and they trust, they feel like they can do some more things and be a little more versatile. Disguise coverage is a little better. And, and, and that's really helped because their front seven isn't overly talented. They're sort of making do with what they have uh, but they do feel really good about their secondary and that's kind of helped them in other areas. So Jeff one of the biggest uh, talking points of our power rankings this week was where the Ravens belong. So hmm. our panel had them at number four that is actually they still ended up being lower than the Patriots. The Patriots are three, the Ravens are four. Um, so this is a two-parter here. A, where do you see them currently right now post-week nine? Where do you think they rank in the NFL? And then, you know, just glancing at their schedule, it's a little – they play the Texans, the Rams, and the 49ers in a three-game span, so that could be difficult. What do you think then their their final record projection is going to be? What, what seed do you think they'll grab if they uh, make the playoffs? Yeah, as you know, uh, Amy, I've kind of – you know, if you edit my uh... – you know, games of the week. Uh, I've picked them to lose in back-to-back games. You have. You're very pessimistic, Jeff. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, so, uh, and uh, no, I'm not going to do that against the Bengals this week. But, uh, you know, I, 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 they just had a lot to prove to me. And, and early, they didn't play anybody. And, and, and then they won some games unimpressively. But you can't beat the Seahawks by double digits in Seattle and then the Patriots by double digits at home and not be impressed. I I think you guys have them in the right spot, uh, right around there. You know, people make such a big deal about power rankings and, well, this team beat that team. But there's circumstances to each week. Just because a team beat a certain team doesn't mean – that they ha- they they should be behind them so uh, or should be ahead of them excuse me so I, I I'm fine with where they are in that four or five range I think that's probably emblematic uh, of where they should be um, and going forward I, look the the Bengals I think this game's going to be a better game than people think but still they should win. They don't really have too many easy games the rest of the way. I, I think they're going to be really, really battle tested going into the playoffs. I, I thought at the beginning this team was a eight nine win team. Um, now I, I think there's a clear path to ten wins, and I guess it wouldn't even shock me if they go eleven and five. But they have a lot of work to do because of the level of competition they play the rest of the way. Um, and they're with their style, they're going to play a lot of close games uh, just with the ball control, uh, long drives, not. Really 
really getting a ton of big plays. So I think they're going to be in a lot of games that, you know, are one possession. And, and when that happens, there's a, there's not a ton of margin of error. But, you know, I think they're a 10 and 16 probably right now. It wouldn't shock me even if they got to 11 wins. But, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to be a team that people aren't going to be rushed to want to play come playoff time, you know, just with the way they play. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff, so much for joining us. And a reminder that you can read all of Jeff's Ravens coverage at The Athletic. And you can follow him on Twitter at at Jeff Zrebeck. That's J-E-F-F-Z-R-E-B-I-E-C because I always spell it wrong. So I want to make sure you guys are following the right guy. So thank you so much, Jeff. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Have a good rest of the week. We hear you. So now we want to get into a few of your comments before we wrap this up today. In the segment that we call We Hear You, Amy has gone through all of your comments that are currently on our Power Rankings file on The Athletic. We've picked out a few of our favorites. So Amy, what are the people saying in the comments today? Well, one thing to note, not a lot of angry comments from Ravens fans. I think we thought we were going to get flooded with that. Really not a lot. I think even one person went in and said, like, Ravens fan here and I'm fine with the Patriots being above Cool. So... You know, okay, cool. <laughs> we weren't expecting. Maybe they, maybe they like being underrated and like an underdog. I think status. someone else said that too. They were like, "We prefer to be underdogs." So, like, we wish you ranked us even lower. So, you know, all right. Um, Miles G had something to say about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he Interesting. says the Steelers sitting at five hundred with its four losses coming from teams ranked one, three, four, and seven are in a three-game winning streak with the fifth easiest strength of schedule left are ranked at number 18. Keep underestimating them, I guess. And then in parentheses, please talk about me on your podcast. <laughs> Miles, we're talking about you. Congratulations. Yeah. It's happening. Um, yeah. And thank you for Steelers. listening. We appreciate Thank you for yeah. listening. Thank you for commenting, all of that. And yeah, the Steelers are just kind of a weirdly under the radar right now because they were really bad to start. And I think kind of we wrote them off at the beginning. And yeah, they've just quietly worked their way back into, you know, they're they're uh, at 500 now. They play in contention. Be, yeah, they're in contention now. They they definitely are. That AFC is there's so many question marks, of, you know, going on there. So they're back in it now. And I think the gif I chose for the Steelers this week kind of like encapsulates how I think everyone's just like viewing them. And to Miles's point that we're just kind of underestimating them, I guess, because they just kind of snuck up after yeah. start a bad start. That I think the gif is like, oh, my God, where did you come from? And it's like suddenly now we need to think about them as like contenders again, because yeah. here they are now. Watch out. The Steelers are going to do what the Steelers do and, you know, potentially finish you can potentially go on a big run and, you know, maybe finish with the wild card uh, spot in mind. So, yeah, it's been funny. I, I, I've looked back through where they've been through the course of the season. If we look back to where they were right after week one, that was when they lost, what was it, 33 to three, I think, to the Patriots um, in week one. They went, they were 15th and 21st, 26th, 26th, 26th. 21st, 2019, and now they're up at 17. And, you know, for a while, I think we were not dropping them far enough. We were giving them the benefit of the doubt for being, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then we dropped them really far when they, you know, were down to their third string quarterback. And now they've been slowly creeping up. And um, I was on Dave Damashek's podcast earlier this week, and he was making a really strong case that um, the Steelers are going to be a playoff team. And, you know, he made a really strong case. And you look, in that win... Beating the Colts might end up being really, really important in seven or eight weeks when all these teams that are kind of in the middle of the AFC are fighting for playoff spots because 
Um, you know, if the Colts are also a wild, cont- wild card contender and there's uh, tiebreaker scenarios going on, the fact that the Steelers were able to win that game, Adam Vinatieri missed game-winning kick there, um, that could end up looming very, very large for both of those teams. So, Miles, thank you for the comment. We, uh, we, we'll, we'll keep watching. I don't know how much we'll underrate them or overrate them, but um, we're definitely paying a lot more attention to um, the Steelers and giving them a lot more respect right now than we were maybe a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and they play the Rams next week, which will be Ooh, a pretty, yeah. a, suddenly like a very intriguing game. And then then they've got the Browns, Bengals, Browns, and Cardinals. So, you know, that's yeah. potentially a four-game streak right there, you know. that they, they could suddenly be one – you know, they could make a – in terms of risers when we talk about – potential teams to rise up our rankings really quickly. Like the Steelers are definitely on that radar. So, and the other comment from Corden G, which kind of is another um, kind of what we were talking about before teams dropping too far, you know, in terms of the way that the Vikings drop. This one is about the Colts though. And Corden says, seems like the Colts dropping six spots is a little crazy considering they lost by two on a missed field goal on the road with their backup quarterback playing 75% of the game. And their wide receiver out. I get the fact that all their games have been close, but the Packers got rocked by the Chargers and only dropped one. So this is just kind of what we were talking about with the Vikings. You can make the argument that the Colts, too, you know, maybe they dropped too many. But I, I do think a large part of it is that we can't overlook that Jacoby Brissett got hurt. So, you know, it looks like it's not that serious. And then I'll probably be back, if not this week, then the following week. So it doesn't seem like he's going to miss a huge period of time. But, you know, I think that probably that injury had an effect on how we looked at them. And, you know, also the fact that the Texans suddenly look really good kind of does impact the way that we look at the Colts. You know, I think at at one point in the season, we thought the Colts were the class of that division. doesn't look like that right now. So, you know, there's a lot that kind of goes into that. But at the same time, it can be pretty random in terms of the Packers only dropping one spot and the Colts, you know, ultimately being the biggest fallers this week of anybody. Yeah. And then sometimes that is also has to do with the teams ahead of them, what those mm-hmm. teams had done. Yeah. The Cowboys rose a couple spots. Um, the Texans rose a couple spots. Um, the Seahawks went back up a little bit. The Texans moved up. So that's kind of how that movement works. But um, I, I fully expect that the Colts are going to be one of these teams, that they're moving up two spots, down two spots, up two spots, down two spots, kind of yeah. for the rest of the season. That's really what we've seen from them uh, over the first eight weeks and or nine weeks. And I expect that's what's going to continue. They're just because when they when they're winning games in dramatic fashion, you know, these really close games, but then they're also losing these heartbreaking losses, you know, when with kind of ridiculous circumstances with Vinatieri missed kicks, hurt quarterback, all that kind of stuff. I think that's one of the things that tends to happen uh, when it's really fresh in our mind about, you know, some losses, you know, being worse than others. All right, and so with that, we are on to our Power Up, Power Down. Power Up, Power Down. So we have the same one this week, or the same theme <laughs> at least. Uh, Lindsay, and usually you... we try to keep or keep these different, but I think it's just it's such an important moment in football history <laughs> that we both have to power up to the Monday Night Football cat. Yes, um, meow, God the bless cat. You. It was amazing. <laughs> so if you follow me on Twitter, if you've listened to the podcast a little bit, I think you, get, you know I have a three-year-old daughter, so it makes it really difficult for me to watch these primetime games. My husband's at work. The games are right. You know, I live in Denver, so it's, you know, 6.30 kickoff. It's That's prime, dinner time, bedtime, bath time. The whole, you know, that whole deal, she has the attention span to watch football for about a play and a half. So last night I'm sitting, you know, Monday night, I'm sitting on the couch. Um, 
working on the power rankings file that you guys hopefully all have read. Um, I have Twitter open and then we have YouTube Halloween videos on the television as you do on November 4th. And all of a sudden people start tweeting at me. Oh my God, you're missing a cat. And I'm flipping. I'm trying to change the channel from the YouTube back to uh, ESPN as quickly as I can. Um, I pull up, I actually show my daughter the, the cat video because my three-year-old loves nothing more in the world than a cat video. She was really excited. She mostly wanted to know if it was a boy cat or a girl cat. Mm. Um, I, I don't think we have a definitive answer on that. Tough questions. <laughs> she also wanted to know the cat's name and she wanted to name the cat Grampy, which <laughs> I it's kind of weird, but she's three, so whatever. But um, you know, God bless that cat. Sorry to the Giants who I guess he cursed them. Because they were winning the game and then they basically, uh, you know, went in the tank as soon as that cat got off the field. Um, didn't really realize that the Cowboys would have a good luck charm in a cat. Um, Jerry Jones, I think, had some sort of weird, like, connection to the cat. Was saying the cat was staring at him. Maybe he brought it in. I don't think any of that is true. I think this is just a feral cat who lives in MetLife Stadium and probably eats, like, leftover hot dogs and rats and popcorn. He looked really fat. I'm actually glad that nobody, like, <laughs> picked him up. But it was fantastic. I love animals that intrude on the field. Um, my family and I were big um, St. Louis Cardinals fans. I'm very, I've got a very soft spot for Rally Squirrel and Rally Cat. Um, so I'm just really excited to see, you know, these animals kind of getting onto the field in an NFL game. And I'm glad that nobody tried to, none of the players tried to pick it up with their bare hands and, you know, risk getting rabies or anything like that. <laughs> and I need to give a shout out to Kevin Harlan. Another excellent call of the cat being on the field. Uh, Kent, our producer, is going to play it um, because really there's, in my words, can't justify it. I just think we should all listen to the wonderful Kevin Hall Harlan of fame. calling the cat on the field. He's brought the walking. cat. He's walking to the three. He's at the two. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW people will get it now. A policeman, a state trooper has come on the field and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. And the cat is elusive. So good. Kind of like Barkley and Elliott. <laughs> but he didn't know where to go. Look at they're trying to corner him. And they got him in the end zone. There are state troopers all around this cat, which now climbs up into the stands. And the fans are running for their life. Now it goes back on the field again. And it's running in the back of the end zone. And it runs up the tunnel. I mean... God, he, Kevin Harlan is a national treasure. He's just the, the way that he just seamlessly went right into that. He slipped in like a promo, the promo. in there. He dropped like a reference to Saquon Barkley. I mean, God, it was brilliant. Um, put that in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. It was amazing. Yes, um, I also love the, from a couple of years ago, if anybody wants to find it, the streaker call that he made when there was a, it was the 49ers and Rams, I think. There was a streaker on the field. He did a similar type of call of like, just, it was just great and you should google it um but yeah kevin harlan that just made me laugh so much and just the cat in general just a great moment in football history the cat on the field so i think that is a perfect way to wrap up our week nine power rankings um we will be back later this week for a bonus episode for athletic subscribers maybe we'll rank our favorite cats in the nfl i don't know (laughs) make sure you check that out (laughs) but thank you guys so much we will be back next week make sure you check out our full power rankings one through 32 on the athletic leave us your comments and we will talk to you guys in a couple days see you guys